Cielo da luna, mezzo mare, mamma mia, mamma redare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And this is our mentor series. Mm-hmm. Our mentor Second series. Second episode. I love it. Second episode for mentors. And, Pat, welcome. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I'm here. Good and evening. Megan. Here I am. <laughs> well, this, you know, Pat, maybe you should pick a mentor to, one time, too. Yeah, before I die, I'm going to get somebody that, that, that can teach me something that'll stick. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is my third mentor I think I've talked about. I think I talked about Costello. Yes, this is the second. Oh, it's the second? Second. Mm-hmm. Second, yeah. Oh, okay. More to come. <laughs> More to come. <laughs> but yes, this is the second. This is my second one. Well, this is, I'm, you know, chronologically, it probably is, no, no, the guy. I, we didn't talk about Carlo Gambino. Oh, we did. We did. I'm sorry. This is. This is the third. Excuse me. Oh, I'm so Excuse sorry. Me. How could I make that Carlo mistake? No, Carlo Gambino was my first guy, and then then it went to Costello, and then it went to Maya Lansky, a nice Jewish man. You're right. Five foot tall. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew that. Five five foot tall. That's it. That's crazy. No one, no one the cops never arrested him for hardly anything. They couldn't see him. <laughs> no, I mean, the first time I had to meet him on Lincoln Row, and uh, I went down to give a message to Costello, and he said, uh, you know, you'll meet him on this bench. They knew the bench, where this is, and this, the place is called Lincoln Mall, but it's Lincoln Road down in Florida. I mean, if you're a, if you're a Floridian, you would know where he was every day. With this his is Miami? Miami. Miami Beach, and um, it's you know, it's uh, where everybody knew it'd be, and then, and they knew it. You know, it was Lincoln Road Mall, and and um, I'd have to meet him on a, be- a bench. And he had a little doggy with him, right? A little French poodle. Hmm. And how could you miss this guy? <laughs> well, well, you, you could miss him unless you. You could not. No. no. So the first time I met him, and. Uh, I sat down, I'm waiting, and he sat there, and he just looked at me for a minute. He said, are you the kid? And the voice matched his height. And I, and I knew a lot about him. I'm saying, you know, I can't laugh at this guy, forget about him. But, you know, he, as for the people who, we don't, who don't know who this guy is, he was called the accountant. He's probably one of the smartest men in the world. And him and Lucky Luciano, Took over American Americans organized crime figures. Shall we? Shall we do a little uh, early history? Sure, please. Okay, born in 1902, he came here in 1911, and he uh, uh, one of his first friends was uh, Benjamin Siegel, heretofore known as Bugsy. Right. They they were they were childhood friends together, and they formed a mob of two. They went into bootlegging, uh, and along the way, Charles Lucky Luciano got wind of what they were doing and tried to shake Maya down for protection money. And uh, out of that developed a, 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 a friendship because uh, Meyer, despite his height, was a tough little guy. And oh, he, yeah. He, he, he wasn't paying anybody anything. He didn't care who you were. And Luciano admired that, and they became, the three of them, became friends for life. No, it's amazing. And the rest is, is, is history. They formed, they organized organized crime. Hmm. Well, I mean, he did because, and when Costello and them got together, Tony Accardo, that's when they created the syndicate, and that's when they said in Godfather Two, the Hyman Roth character was Maya Lansky in Godfather Two, and he said, Michael, we're gonna be bigger than U.S. Steel, <laughs> and they were doing a billion dollars a year, a billion. Well, he had a, a a head for figures. He kept everything. He never wrote anything down, right? Right. No. He kept everything they said. This was a worldwide empire between his ears. He never put anything on paper. He was he he was brilliant. But they had a great idea in the early '30s. They didn't care whether you were Italian, whether you were Martian. They didn't care if you came together and had something to contribute. You were in. Well, that's how, you know, like you pointed out, Bugsy Siegel, uh, Louis Lepke, Hyman Roth. I mean, all these guys, and I'm, I'm Roth, I'm using a fictitious character, <laughs> uh, Rosenstein, all those guys, 
they they knew how to do it, and they put it together, and they were, I mean, their organization was unstoppable. And, it, you know, it's, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him early on in my life. I was 15, 16. Mm. So I've known him, you know, 62, well, they died in uh, 83, in Mount Sinai Hospital, no less. Mm. That he probably bought the wing down there. That's how much money. Oh, wow. Well, it was funny because, you know, in, in 83, I mean, not even 83. In 53, his net worth was 300 million that they knew about. And that was in 1953 dollars. That yeah. is insane. Yeah. yeah. No, I imagine what that's worth or would have right. been worth now. But oddly enough, and we'll, we'll get to this later in the podcast, uh, his estate was $57,000. When he died, yeah. In Where'd the money go? We'll, 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 well, we'll talk about that. But he I, started in 1936. His, he was a gambler. His uh, his daughter was, his daughter was a brilliant girl. I think she's got the money. <laughs> Somebody got it. Yeah. But he started. He was a, he was a, uh, he was a gambler, and he he knew odds. He knew how to set them. In 1936, he formed gambling operations in Florida, New Orleans, and Cuba. Right. And he was uh, he was uh, 34 years old. I mean, he was a relatively young guy. Yep. And he and and he ran all this. But my experience with him which went on for years, fortunately, is that uh, his respect throughout the world, like you just pointed out, Marcello, all, his, Marcello, all these guys love Maya. And then I had, he had uh, uh, a, uh, I'm gonna, I don't want to say a, a protege, this is a better word, that I got really close to, who became my neighbor in, in uh, Las Vegas, <laughs> and uh, Mo Dalitz, Mo Dalitz was his right-hand man in Vegas. So when I went to Vegas, they told me to go to the Las Vegas Country Club, and these people will be there to meet you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I go there, and it was Mo Dalitz, Mickey Cohen. <laughs> I mean, the people that were sitting around that table, and which I thought was really interesting was Perry Thomas, who was the president of Valley Bank out of Salt Lake City. And they, they were, I mean, they were so buttoned up. And, and I, a guy I really took a, a liking to, I, I heard of him, he's like a legend, Yale Cohen. Yale Cohen was like 6'3". He was a bodyguard to Capone out of Chicago. <laughs> and they were running Vegas, man. They had it. And they, they offered me a townhouse on Las Vegas Country Club. They, like townhouses we see in New York and all that, they actually built them right on the golf course. Mm. They were beautiful. Well, but, uh, look, oh God. Lansky, Lansky had an absolute rule of integrity in his gambling establishments, which was rare for the time, because right. everybody was looking out to rip, rip off all the gamblers, but not Lansky. No, the odds were enough to win. Yeah, you, you, you know, uh, casinos can't lose. It's they were legitimate games. Hmm. Yeah, I mean you can you can win and, and and walk away, and that's the only way you're gonna you're gonna be, you know you're gonna stay a winner. But the, the 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 casinos have the odds, and Lansky knew that. So he said, "I'm going to run strictly honest uh, gambling establishments. People flock to them, and the the, the mob back then uh, there was no drugs. We're talking the 20s, 30s, oh, 40s. Yeah. It was gambling, prostitution, loan sharking, hijacking." Uh, but gambling was the, the was the mainstay of the mob. Would you agree with that back in those days? Oh yeah. Well, see, yeah. and as you know, even today, a lot of people even when they tried it in New York to put uh, off track betting in OTB and all this stuff, they knew it would work for a minute. But why did the bookmakers survive? They gave you credit. They not going to give you. They ain't going to give you credit. So the bookmakers always stayed. And if you're a gambler and have crap games and everything else. The, the next uh, guest, best business, be loan sharking because you're going to need money. Mm. So it just kept going around, and there was no drugs involved that time. None. And, and of course, I can't see the mafia issuing 1099s at the end of the year if you're gambling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, like now you, you win over 10000 in Vegas, they take a picture of you in your fingerprint. Mm. Did you know that? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. No, they, I mean, that, that was uh, Howard Hughes. We'll get into that too because he got involved with Howard Hughes. 
But, well, uh, Lasky convinced the mob to back uh, Bugsy Siegel in uh, this desert town that was like a, a pinpoint on a map called Las Vegas. And he was going to build a major hotel called the Flamingo, and the mob was going to get rich. And this was Lansky's backing that got Siegel the money. Yeah, and and and, and, and uh, Frank Costello was involved in that. It was funny how they wound up out there, though, because nobody realizes where they built the Flamingo Hotel wasn't Las Vegas. There was, was a outside, bunch, outside of Vegas, right? Yeah, it was. A paradise, it's called Paradise Valley. I still have property there and got involved in my business out there. But when they came down to Vegas to organize Bugsy, there was a bunch of cowboys downtown. In Las Vegas, true Vegas, running the whole town. Jackie Guy, gone, the Boyd family, all Texas. And they were tough guys. So they said, you know, I don't want to use the, the, the crude word for a Jew. They said, if you want to build something here, we don't want none of you Italians here, none of you Jews here. Mm. And they said, go build it out there. And it's funny now, since he built out there, and then uh, the next guy was Belden Cattleman that came in. He built uh, El Rancho. In fact, the president of uh, Richard Nixon, no, not Nixon, Ronald Reagan, used to perform in the lounge at that. <laughs> I mean, the, the history is crazy. So they, they gave him that property, and it's called Flamingo Road, and the Flamingo Hotel is still there. Mm. In fact, they just took down Bugsy Siegel's Rose Garden after all these years because he he had a beautiful area in the backyard with all these roses. He loved roses. and uh, But that was his demise, you know, that uh, the building of that. Well, Lansky went to bat for him. They wanted to, they wanted to kill Bugsy Siegel before they actually did kill him, but uh, Lansky went to bat for him. He said, give the guy a chance. Now, the first year the Flamingo was open, it, it lost money. The second year, it made money. Right. So uh, Lansky was vindicated. But the third year, it started to go downhill again. And that's when I said, look, enough is enough. And the in, in mob lore, it was said that uh, Lansky had to give the final word to get his best friend killed. Well, they weren't going to do it without Lansky giving the okay. Yeah, and figured what, if he didn't, there'd be trouble. See, Mickey Cohen, who I happen to get involved with later on in life, Mickey Cohen was running L.A. And there was a famous girl called Virginia Hill. And Bugsy and her got up tight, really tight. And he went over $3 million in building the Flamingo Hotel. But only to find out, Mickey Cohen warned Maya that they were taking money to Switzerland. She was. Once a month, she'd go to Switzerland. Do you yeah. think uh, Do you think Siegel knew about it? I doubt it, right? Yes, he did. Oh, he didn't know about it. I'm going to tell you right. Now. The guy that was sitting on his couch when they shot him through the window at Virginia Hills House in Beverly Hills <laughs> was Smiley. We talked about him in the book. Yeah, he ran all the he he went out to L.A. and set up all the unions. I, I and I'm. If anybody knows who I'm talking about, they know him by Smiley. I ain't going to give his uh, surname or But they arranged it. And like you pointed out, Maya was convinced then. And they told Virginia Hill. And she had him. You know, she, he was over there a lot. It was a, a beautiful afternoon. He was sitting on the couch. Smiley was sitting across the room. They shot over Smiley's shoulder. Oh, my gosh. And blew his face apart. With rifles, yep. He Thanks. was, uh, yeah, he was in bad shape. In fact, the uh, the picture is iconic. You look up uh, Bugsy Siegel online, and you, you're going to get that picture. Oh, Lane, really? That was, really? was hanging out of his head. Yeah, I mean, uh, they was, emptied out on him. And, uh, Virginia Hill, uh, I understand, returned that money after Siegel got killed. Oh yeah, that was the deal. Now you yeah. go get the money and bring it back here, and you could live. But then she exiled herself too, you know. To yeah, she committed suicide. Yeah, then she committed suicide. Sure. Oh man! Well, you, yeah, but, you can't cross them all. I mean, it's not these well, guys. Yeah. But uh, I mean, what he did, Maya. I mean, when you think of, like, like even with the Purple Gang, you know, he would he would set the odds. 
This guy was a mathematician. Yeah, for the entire country. Yeah, and, and, and that's when they created the wire service. They actually created the betting wire service, and they actually created the numbers game, and they made it legitimate by using the last three numbers of the total handling of the racetrack that was racing closest to your neighborhood. Hmm. There's no way to know that number. Now, Lansky also uh, originated the idea of putting uh, ill-gotten gains in Swiss bank accounts. There was a a law passed in in Switzerland in uh, 1934 which made banking secret and uh, anonymous, and he was the first person to take advantage of it. Right. That's where he saw the way all his money. It isn't like that anymore. Now the Swiss will, will respond to subpoenas now. I mean, they're, they're, very, they're very porous over there. They're not like they used to be. I, I, but, lost, uh, I lost a lot of money over money. When they that's changed it. that law, they sent me my application and said, we need your social security number. We need, before it was, oh, just, before <laughs> it was a box number. Hmm. And... I knew if I went to it or answered that, because that's when they had reciprocity with the United States. All the numbered accounts. And I had a substantial amount of money over there. I, I sent the letter back, said, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And they sent me another one. They said, Mr. Russo, your box number this. I said, got the wrong guy. <laughs> Not me, it's another Russo. Very uh, common Italian name. Yeah, of course, like mm. Smith. That happened in the Cayman Islands, too. We had money in the Cayman Islands, and they changed that law. So it's, it's now crazy. the place to go, I understand, is the Isle of Man. They're pretty tight. But how long is that going to last? No, the Isle of Man is already gone. Is it? Well, yeah. opened up. They all are. That's, that's ridiculous. You got to stuff the money in your mattress, I guess. I mean, where else are you going to put it? Well, you could make investment in the Nevada Bank, Vatican Bank. They're still taking money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, the, this is the digital age. Anyway, back to Meyer. He was instrumental uh, during World War II. This guy was. Uh, was uh, uh, very uh, far-sighted. He would he would always think ahead. You figure he's going to volunteer the mob service in uh, in World War Two. The Office of Naval Intelligence uh, instituted Operation Underworld. How's that for a catchy name? Well, yeah. Use, yeah, I mean, who thinks of these things? They use they were using gangsters as we discussed in last week's uh, episode to secure New York Harbor, and that was uh, through Lansky and the Office of Naval Intelligence. He's the one. Right. I got the idea. You know, his pal, Luciano, was in jail. He wanted to get him out. He said, let's work a deal here. Luciano runs the docks, and he will uh, supply uh, intelligence, and when the war's over, he, he, he goes. That was Orlansky. That no, was you know. brilliant. Well, I heard about it. I didn't know about it. I knew Costello told me. I mean, I spent a lot of time with, with Maya when I was in Florida uh, after, for a couple of things, and... Uh, when, when they, even that night when they announced, I mean, so many elections and stuff that they got involved with down there, because they used to have the Democratic National Convention there, and, and they were behind the Knicks and so many different people. And he basically was the owner of the Fontainebleau Hotel. And, and uh, the, the guy that was on the, the paper, who as the owner, was Ben Novak. And uh, that's how I got Cabana One, because I, I wanted something to do. And we put, we put a, a gin rummy game there, seven days a week, hmm. eight hours a day. You want to go play gin rummy? Very legitimate setup, too. And Mo, who was the bartender, you put your buy-in with him. So you go to the bar and you buy $1,000 worth of chips, let's say. Okay. So there was never money on the table, it was chips. Mm-hmm. And that's how, but he was acting as the bank. Right. So there was a register that was just for the gin rummy game, and then there was a register just for the liquor. Huh. Well, none of that. We got you really, know, really close. In all the years that Lansky was involved, and it was, uh, it was his entire lifetime, he did one short bit for gambling. That was it. They couldn't get him on anything. Right. And believe me, they tried. I mean, they can get Al Capone on tax evasion. They they can get anybody on anything. They searched high and wide for this guy's money. To this day, they haven't found the money. But uh, I mean, he was he was a very very smart guy. Well, I don't know how many people he didn't jail time. I don't know how many people realize that. You know, he 
tried to take exile in Israel. Huh. He was there. For, he was there for two years. Right. And, and then uh, the, uh, you know the feds put pressure on Israel because without the United States there would be no Israel. Exactly. And they said uh, we want this guy back, and they sent him back. Hmm. Yep. But uh, they made him right at the end. Trial. He, he went to trial, and he beat it. Wow. No, the guy. Uh, well, as far as uh, Maya's connections with my earlier trips going to Miami, and one of my first trips to go to Miami and meet him was when they decided to get JFK elected. They needed him to sanction it and okay it. As I did then, I went to Chicago, they okayed it, and they all got on board, and, and, and Marcello and all them, uh, Marcellus rather. And um, it, it, was, it was crazy what was going on at that time, but that's the kind of power he had everywhere. Insane. You know, one of the stories uh, in the book that I don't believe we've told on this podcast, I don't know how we missed it, was uh, you promising uh, Meyer that you were going to get Frank Sinatra to uh, sing at his friend's son's bar mitzvah. Oh, not sing, no. I'll tell you who's bar mitzvah. But just show up. Yeah, just show up. Well, he was was at the Fontainebleau. Frank used to do last week of January, first week of February every year mm-hmm. and doing two shows a night in the Laurent room which like the showroom was amazing and Mark who's now Sharif Malnick I knew him as Mark Malnick and very close friend of mine his father was another mentor who they say took over after Maya died and Al Maya said I tell Frank I want him at the at Alvin's party tomorrow, so I told him you know not not tomorrow like next Sunday uh-huh. or Saturday. It's so no problem. So I told him he's going to come. So I thought he was there to be honest with you because I was going to go later. I didn't go too many places in the middle of a Saturday afternoon at ninety degrees, hmm. especially putting a suit on. And at that time, Malnick's house was right on Royal Palm Drive. You could see it from the Fountain Blue Hotel. There was the creek in between. So I get a call. They page me. I'm in the cabana getting sun. Hmm. And Johnny, Alvin says Frank's not there. I said, I'll go check right now. I, we won't have cell phones, you know. Mm-hmm. So I go upstairs, and he has a guard outside. They always had a guard for him because everybody knew right. his bedroom. It was the double door at the end of the hallway. And I knock on the door. And I hear a, a female voice. I recognize it to be Mia Farrow. Hmm. And I said, where's Frank? He says, he's sick. And I'm saying, I said, why is she at the door? Because mm-hmm. I know how big that suite is. Right. I said, let me in. He said, I can't do that. I said, get away from the door. I'm coming in. Because <laughs> I had the rights to do anything I wanted to do. <laughs> Especially if that guy's telling me to go in. Yeah. So I go maybe... Five feet, shoulder in the middle of the door, it's going to go. Yeah. And it did. With her on, holding on to the door, Frank comes out with a robe. I said, what the hell's going on here? And he sees her laying on the floor. I said, Frank, I got a call from Maya. He's supposed to be at Alvin's, Sharif's, uh, uh, Mark's bar mitzvah. And he looked at her and he said, you told me they called and said it was off. Because oh. she she wanted to keep keep him, him to herself, right? So I said, Frank, he's well. I'm all shallow and all. I said, give me a couple of minutes, and that's when he was wearing all that tie dye stuff. Oh, it was and that he, era? And he came out with that that cotton blue tie dye with the the jacket, like the uh, the, the, the Levi jacket, uh-huh. and a scarf on his neck. Like, oh like my he, gosh! And I'm saying, he, he, look, he looked absolutely foolish. I mean, oh, I'm sure. Because of her. So we went over there. And who's in the yard is Myra, Maya. So I come in and I just went back there. He says, is all that commotion over Frank coming in there? I said, yeah. He says, you're a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy was amazing. I mean, the stories that I go on and on and on with this guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's totally uh, he, he instituted, I mean, he, he made Cuba. Oh, yeah. He put up all the hotels, all the casinos. It was all him. Well, he he orchestrated all the money, and they and they chopped it up with different different families owned different hotels. Hmm. 
So everybody, you know, they're going to make it like they did in Vegas. When Vegas, you know, when you, that's why there was, there was no ever mob problems, fights in Vegas or anything else. That's where they made their money. Nobody, I mean, I don't know one of them in the desert, how many bodies are out there, but that's what they did. They organized well, the money. They put up all the money. And yeah, Batista. In, in, in December, uh, December 22nd, 1946, in the Hotel Nacional, right. Maya held a meeting with uh, big time gangsters from the United States. This scene or this sequence was replicated in Godfather 2. Right. With Hyman Roth calling the meeting in the hotel, right. but uh, this was this was the meeting that they portrayed on film. They got a list of the people who was there. Any everybody from uh, Carlos Marcelo in New Orleans, uh, Magadino, uh, uh, everybody was there. Uh, Vito Genovese, uh, uh, Joe Bananas, Frank Costello, Albert Anastasia, Joe Adonis. They were all there for this meeting. That what Maya was asking, that? What this was little that? Jewish, five foot Jewish guy was holding court in this hotel telling all these big mob guys what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And what so year was that? the power of this guy. What Everybody year was that? listened to him because he was making the money. What year was that? Uh, 46. Wow. Hmm. That's, no, I mean, it, 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 it's amazing how his legacy went on all these years until the 80s. Yes, what I mean. He only did one little bit for gambling. It's it's amazing that uh, that they didn't get him. all the years that the, that the feds tried to get him back from Israel. A couple of years that he was in Israel because they had an ironclad case against him for tax evasion and a whole bunch of other things, and he beat it. Yeah. So they that that, that was that, that was an embarrassment. But in in uh, in Cuba, they were paying off Valencio Batista, who was the president of Cuba. Oh at the yeah, time. Batista was he, in their pocket. Yeah, two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars a week, plus a percentage of the take from the hotels. He was doing fine, and you know he said, "Yeah, I have to worry about this guy Fidel Castro. He's up in the mountains uh, with a couple of ragtag guys. Don't worry about anything." And we, you know how that turned out. Right. But they lost everything. Well, I know, uh, and that's why when when they made the deal, when Joe Kennedy made the deal, that you get my son to be president. We will invade Cuba, and most people didn't even know what the Bay of Pigs was about. But the problem was, Robert Kennedy didn't see eye to eye with his brother or his father. In fact, he didn't like his father's gangster friends mm. because he was partners. Joe Kennedy was partners with Frank Costello Frank during Prohibition. They yeah. made millions together. They used to own the Tropicana Hotel together in Vegas. That's wild. I mean, but uh, but Maya was the guy. Well, Maya said. Uh, publicly that uh, Cuba busted him out. He said he lost everything. I don't know what that means in Maya Lansky talk, you know, uh, but he said he was he was broke after uh, Castro took over and he had to start recouping everything. He had to go back to Vegas. So uh, I would think that it didn't take him long to, to make his money back. I mean, the guy, or some of it back, because the guy was, was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, but he had, but, I, yeah, I, but we mentioned he had a, a couple of hundred million then yeah, how do you hide that kind of money, though? Yeah, well, well, the good, the good news about the casino cages, there was a safe in every one of those. That was somebody safe. So, and that's 24 hours, armed guards outside. There's always a million dollars. Because you had to back the chips with money. A lot of people don't know that. Mm -hmm. The federal government made you do that because they gave you the permission. Every hotel at that time had their own chip. So when you went to the Sands Hotel, you got Sands chips. And they could be interchangeable. I can go to Caesars with it. That's how they laundered a lot of drug money. Guys would put three men in the cage to gamble of cash money, mm -hmm. get the chips, and then go disperse them everywhere and get the money back. Well, basically, were, it was currency. It was like dollar yeah, bills. It was like, currency. Like currency, yeah. Wow. When did that end? That ended with Howard Hughes. See, Howard Hughes had to infiltrate for the American government. They gave him, they made a deal with him. That's why he went there and started buying up all these hotels one Sunday afternoon. He bought the Sands Hotel on the Saturday afternoon. <laughs> bought it. And the idea was they gave him a big aircraft contract. And he, because the government's not allowed in free enterprise. 
they couldn't buy hotels. So not only did they infiltrate the hotels, they put cocktail waitresses in, FBI agents, car dealers. So now all these people that were disclosing less income tax each year, these cocktail waitresses making two or three hundred a day and putting down twenty-five dollars as tips. That took four years to clean it all up, but it destroyed Vegas basically. But it made it more a legitimate town. But everybody still to today said the town was always better when the mob ran it. Hmm. You, you know who was uh, instrumental in trying to get him out of Cuba? Go back to Cuba for a minute. You know, this is before uh, Castro came in. Uh, Ernest Hemingway wanted him out of Cuba, and he exerted a lot of pressure. He was a famous guy, Pulitzer Prize winner. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, Hemingway tried. Didn't work, of course. But, Didn't uh, Hemingway have a summer home there or something? Yeah, he had a... a I he heard had, that before. He had a, uh, some kind of a home there. He had a, he had a, also had a home in Key West, right. which is now the Hemingway Museum. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he went, he went head to head with him. He, went, he wanted him out of Cuba. He said, you're, you're ruining the country. Well, yeah. Because I'm, I'm, it is a beautiful country. Oh, my God, yeah. But like you, you pointed out, I mean, he was a communist through and through. Fidel yeah. Castro was just a socialist. Forget about it. Yeah. Hmm. So I read that Meyer was quiet, soft-spoken, and shy. Is that what you experienced of him, oh or was God, he a little no. more? No, no. Mm-hmm. That's the, how, Johnny, that's how he raised his voice. Always low. He would whisper. He had people around him. You, I mean, n- never changed his demeanor. How about how did he dress? Dre- dressed like a, uh, your grandfather would dress, <laughs> especially down there. Light clothes, short sleeve shirt. When he had to be a, have a suit on, he did. Understated but, though. Yeah, very understated. I used to sit on a park bench on Lincoln Morrill. Oh my gosh. And Maya Lansky. I'm talking about. <laughs> you know this guy. Nobody's gonna bother him, right? So you know, the, the more okay. the more powerful these guys are, at least back then, the more uh, uh, quiet they were in, in their demeanor. They never raised their voices. They just had to say something, and whatever they said was done. No screaming, no yelling, no killing if they could possibly help it. Mm-hmm. And the Lansky was that type. I mean, he he knew who he was. What, what does he have to scream at anybody? For? Right, and not only get that, it you know, done. You know who reminded me a lot of him. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, until I met Meyer, because I, I knew Gambino prior to him, Gambino was the same guy. He'd walk the streets, nobody with him, go have coffee, sit, wave to people. You would never know this guy was that powerful. Mm. And Meyer had that Like you pointed out, the old time, like Ugo Bufa, there's another guy. You would never know this guy was that powerful. Never. Soft-spoken? Soft-spoken, you know. Did Meyer ever, ever kill anybody? I uh, had a lot of people killed. I don't know if he But never himself. himself. I don't know that part of it. And I, I never heard anything of actually him doing heavy work. Hmm. Did you, Pat, in your research? No. Well, you know, uh, at the beginning, uh, he was a well, tough Volta, guy. I mean, yeah. They, they hurt people when they, when, when they were kids or growing up in the teens and 20s. In yeah, streets like that. Uh, it was prohibition, and there had to be violence there. There had to be. Yeah. I mean, uh, but... That's an, uh, an era in his life was before Mylansky basically became Mylansky. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, he was he was just a, a, a tough street guy. How did he, he didn't mess with him. him. All, all, all five feet of him, he didn't mess with him. No. Mm-hmm. That's how he gained Lucky Luciano's respect. When Luciano tried to shake him down, and he wouldn't go for it. Quiet but ruthless. Yeah. yeah. And the backing he had by everybody, because everybody made money with him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know. How did he eventually die? just died in bed in the hospital. He died of a heart attack, I think. Yeah, just faded away. Just mm. faded away in Mount Sinai Hospital. That was after that whole Israel thing and the trial and all of that. Okay. How old was you he? You know, they did know? that very well, that Hyman Roth character in Godfather 2. Oh, my God, yeah. That was a great character. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. I mean, he just uh, he epitomized uh, Lansky. What was uh, in, in the movie, the Hyman Roth character was constantly complaining about his health, he was always sick, prostate trouble, cancer, right, right, arthritis. Right. Was uh, was Lansky the same way? They said that. I never saw that part of him. But you know, he was he was always laying around, always like eating Jello, and he was that kind of guy. <laughs> eating but, Jello. But to answer your question, he was eighty-one when he died. Okay, really? Yeah. Oh, so he had a pretty full life. Oh my God, yeah. He had three children. Mm-hmm. I, I think I can't figure out how did his son get into West Point. 
Well, you know, all it takes is a, uh, a politician, of, uh, a congressman, and up. Oh, I didn't know. And that. recommend you. Uh, yeah, recommendation they, they, You know, West Point, they had a lot of shady characters' sons go to West Point. They had a, a very good attitude with that. Well, that's your father. How are you? You know, uh, right. if, if, you know, you don't have to suffer the sins of your father. You wanted to be in West Point, you were a good person. They took you. That's and I, I admire that. Yeah, that's Oh, good. I do too. I didn't know that, though. Yeah. That's probably I never went to West Point. <laughs> Anything else I mean, about once you're, in, once you're in, it's difficult to stay in there. I mean, it's, you graduate with a degree in engineering. you got to have something on the ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in, in addition to living up to the West Point uh, integrity, uh, which you have to have right. to stay in there. Right. So. Anyway, quite a, quite a colorful life. Mm-hmm. No. And, and a great man. And I really appreciate it what he did for me directly and indirectly in Vegas for years. I mean, without Moe's backing, in fact, they gave me, State Street was a rental office for a, a retail, I mean, um, a real estate company they owned there. And, they and that was your club, that was, eventually. I made it my club. Mm. And it was right next to the uh, Las Vegas Country Club. And they built the first high-rise, a 20-story building. Oh, oh my gosh. Huh? How did you get the property? They gave it to me. Gave oh. it to me for a dollar a month. Oh, really? You think what? that was a, think that, Yeah. You know that? <laughs> no. No, I, I, I didn't know that. We, you know, there's a, uh, for those of you who haven't read the book, uh, we opened the book with uh, Johnny's Club, which yeah. was a real star-studded, extravagant, uh, uh, very nice club. And... Uh, well, I, I can understand uh, why the, the, the rent was extremely high, a dollar. <laughs> but, you know, they gave me my first club, too, when I opened Tiffany's at the Trap with Elvis. Because that was Costello owned that with Joe Kennedy. Hmm. So he said, we got an idea for you to go out there, and here's what we want you to do. And I opened the nightclub. And they said, Elvis Presley is going to be at the... Uh, International Hotel for Kirk Aquarium. Mm. He'll be there the last two weeks of January. He said, so get it open. And I did. And he used to come every night after the show <laughs> as a favor to them. Plus, they owned the cab companies. So they would say, you won't believe who's at this new club at the Tropicana called Tiffany's. Elvis Presley. Sammy Davis, too. Everybody would come. That's great. But it was, uh, you know, they wanted to get something done. That's you know, Johnny, you, you ought to write a book, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking, hmm, think what a it. novel idea. That's yeah. A, <laughs> that's a very novel idea. I think. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. What do we think? Mailbag time? Oh, yeah. Let's go to mailbag. Yes. Yeah, see. see what people have to say. I hope they keep saying it. <laughs> All right. So, first, I want to share a comment from Jerry. Jerry says, I absolutely love your podcast. Keep it up. I'm on season two now. If anyone doubts Gianni, they shouldn't. I just heard the episode where you described Frank Sinatra getting hit in the Sands Casino, etc. One of my friends was a crap stealer at the time, and that story was told to me almost verbatim, as you recounted it, by him about 15 years ago, as he was telling me all kinds of stories of him and his experiences of the old Las Vegas. I have just ordered your audiobook and can't wait to listen. Keep it up. Great, thank you. People are backing your stories from I know, man. That's years right. ago. You know, we, we have sources. The bottom line is... We're vetted. An old mentor of mine said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to lie. <laughs> Think about it. Think about that. That It's like Confucius. <laughs> you have a lot less to remember. Yeah, hello. Mm-hmm. Well, try to remember. All right, so next message is from Lee. Lee says, first let me say how much I enjoy the podcast. I only recently found it, and I've been listening to two a day just to catch up. It's really fantastic stuff. My dad, who passed away three years ago, got me interested in mob history and movies when I was a young kid. The Godfather is my all-time favorite movie. On a side note, I've heard you mention your wine several times, and I wanted to try it. I've looked online at all of our local wine stores in my area, and no one has it. Do you have a website where it can be ordered and shipped? Not anymore. I, I, we, we got out of the wine business. Like I think we're going to get out of the vodka business, because I just got the worst news in the world. Tito's... What? just took over the whole market. Oh, Tato's is huge right now. Well, they were offered a billion dollars for the company from Diageo, and he turned it down. And why I'm saying it is 
we were rated with Chopin vodka. Chopin lowered their price by $6 a bottle. Hmm. So there's a vodka war going on. No, it's all one guy controlling it out of Texas. Man, that Don Corleone vodka is my favorite vodka. I, I know. I'm going on strike. Well, well, I'm going to protest. You should. That's, that's no, great I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold on to that. That is excellent see. vodka. That is. I'm, it well, is. The one thing, Very if smooth. I put my name on something or get involved with it, it's quality. It's oh, that, that natural organic grain. It's quadruple distilled. It's it's phenomenal. So I don't know where we're really taking care of. Our, in fact, we'll have an online store. It opens March 1st, maybe the 15th later. That's and, food, though, right? That's for the Don oh, no, I think it'll be all our products. Oh, great. So you can go online and buy it. And we'll wine it. included or no? Yeah, you could buy wine. You could, there's certain states. Not where he lives or you, your father lives. Why not? That's a controlled state. Oh. Yeah, the uh, liquor stores in Pennsylvania are all controlled by the state. Yeah, you can't buy you alcohol buy at no. a 7-Eleven or a Wawa. You got to no. go to the liquor store, the beer distributor. Yeah, I live in a communist it. country. <laughs> they own the liquor stores, though. Okay. It's their stores. Got it. Their state-run stores. Makes sense. I never knew any different until I came to New York, and I was like, wow, I can, yeah. I can grab a beer and wherever I want. Yeah, hello. <laughs> it's different. This is America. <laughs> all right, so next message is from Frank. Frank says, love the podcast. I've already listened to all the episodes and can't wait to hear more. I'm from St. Louis and was wondering if you knew how big a role the mafia played in my city. I have always heard stories from my father, who was a union laborer back in the 80s, and there was a lot of car bombings during some labor war. I can't seem to find any info on the mob in St. Louis. Thank you for the hard work and keep putting out great content. St. Louis was very well organized, believe me. No, St. Louis is a major city. Major city. Mm. Still? The guy, the guy I talk about earlier in Maya's situation was Al Malnick. He, at the age of 26, was a lawyer for the Teamsters in St. Louis. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next one is from Mike. Mike says, great show. You mentioned how you and Patrick met, but how did you and Megan meet? And was her family in the mafia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was in the Irish wing. Yes. No, I am 0% Italian. I got all Irish and a little bit of German in me, but... I'm surprised you don't know how we met. I know. I feel like we've said it a few times now. We, we're, we're so happy that we met in church last New Year's Eve. This New Year's Eve was our anniversary, and we went back to Marcos Island, her father and sister and brother and mother, mm -hmm. and uh, we had New Year's Eve. At Eddie Greco's house, who's my partner in the food that business. That was a very fun night. Uh, but yeah, it was a very random meeting about yeah. a year, a little over a year ago. But yeah. it was a. Uh, How does one meet someone in church? We this didn't actually a, meet. We didn't meet in church. Let me correct that. You're right. I was kneeling behind them. They were in the first period. I was in the second period. I like being up close to the altar. Mm -hmm. And here's this wonderful family, five people holding hands, praying together. And basically, I'm saying to myself, this. This is a lost thing in America. Mm -hmm. Families going to church together and all that. Then I left church. We, as a coincidence, we're staying in the same hotel. I come out of the men's room and her father's sitting outside the, the ladies' room waiting for the mother to come out. And we started talking. And the mother knew me. She was a fan of mine. Yeah, once you said you were in The Godfather, she was like head that over heels. It. Yeah. And then they talked about his, his children being here and that Megan just came out of Fordham and would, would I mind talking to her? I said, of course not. And realizing this is the five people, this was the Brady Bunch that was in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are now. Here we are. And the rest? The rest is, is history. Great history, great Of history. course. It was, right. it was meant to be. <laughs> yep. Yes, absolutely. All right, next one is from Tom. Through your careers, did you ever spend much time with my great uncle George Bullets Durgum? Or maybe have some stories about him? He was one of the main figures in early Hollywood, and you and he had several mutual friends Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, and I'm sure many more. I knew of him, but he was yeah. uh, on a different side. I was around Mickey Cohen. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, but yeah, Bullis Durgan was uh, he he was infamous. I, I yeah. just know him of him from uh, from reading. Right, this is his name. He was uh, he's a powerful Hollywood figure, but that's all I know. Right. Huh. All right, next one is from Anthony. Anthony says, "Could you please discuss the making of the flashback scene in Godfather Two that you appeared in? I read that Brando was asked to reprise his role, but he was asking for too much money. Could you please discuss your experience in that scene?" It was a great scene and added so much emotion to the ending of that film. Well, that, that scene, when they called me for it, what, what, uh, we all got a lot of money for that last scene. In fact, I made the same amount of money for that scene as I did for the three months I was on the set. of the Because hmm. now they had a lot of money. Brando was mad at them because when he made the deal, he made it for a very little bit of money, 250000 I think. But they capped him out at a million dollars. And he signed the deal because he wanted that movie. So when they did that to him and they realized the millions they made, mm. he wanted a million dollars to come back and do that scene. It was a scene, it was his birthday, and all the family, they're reminiscing at the table. And that's why James, Sonny, and Carlo were friends. That was the first time I went to the Corleone house. Mm -hmm. And that's why he says to Connie, show Carlo the tree. And he's a little innuendo, a great scene, a great scene. Hmm. But uh, yeah, and uh, and the Brando character is heard coming in. That's Jimmy Kahn in the hallway, making his Brando impression. Impression. Had no Brando. So is that is that true that that he was asking for too much and then they no, didn't he want... wanted a million dollars. They made how many, how many hundreds of millions? And they said no. They said no. Wow. Then I guess no they were Brando. right. Well, I mean, it would have been nice to have him walk in the room. Right. But. It worked. Nice moment, but yeah. 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 Guess it wasn't lacking. Look at the freshman. <laughs> oh, him. yeah, right. I got him again. <laughs> All right, so next question is directed at me. Good. This one says, Megan, what fascinates you still about the guys, meaning you and Pat, and their experiences? And who are famous people you met through your life so far? Any insights you can share about those interactions? Hmm. What still fascinates me about you guys? I think the main thing, and I'm being general, is that I've sat here with these two for a year, at least once a week, and I'm still learning new things every day. It's like the stories are never ending, and you have so much more life experience than I have, obviously, but yeah. just the amount of, of things that you have to share and their amazing stories, are, it's incredible. No, and we, and the, the three of us have an excellent chemistry, and that you have to have that to, yeah. to do this Absolutely. every week for a year. Yeah, I mean that's something yeah. for our audience to know. We have never had, not even a, an argument or anything. No, not, not not even a dispute about anything. No, we just come and do it, and it's I, fun. I think that's coming over the airwaves too because we've got. I yeah, hope it's, so. it, it, yeah, it's evident. Yeah. I hope so. As for people I've met, I've done little. I've been to a lot of concerts. I do meet and greets, you know, singers, well, your artists. The, your father knows that guy, wasn't Which guy? Rolling Stone, somebody. Oh, uh, we met, um, I've met Kiss multiple times because um, my dad's a huge fan. I actually had dinner with Paul Stanley, the star child, if people know him from yeah. that. Um, but my best interaction with the celebrity would probably be Mariska Hargitay. Oh, yeah. She's Olivia Benson in yeah. Law & Order SVU. That's been my favorite show for forever. So I had a little interaction with her, and that was when I was most starstruck. I, I normally am not. That was the most meaningful to me. Because it wasn't, I, you know, you get VIP tickets and you meet celebrities for a minute, but um, yeah. that was that was my most treasured interaction, I think, because of how special she is to me. It's funny, I, I, I met her right after her mother's decapitation. Mm. Jane Mansfield. Yeah, the, a lot of people didn't know the father was Mickey Hargitay, mm -hmm. but um, that was devastating. I mean, to, yeah. But uh, and, and she, was, she was in the car. She was. Yeah. She was three. Yeah, three years yeah. old. Yeah, I love. I I love Marshka. She's my. I wonder if she has. Well, she has any um, uh, memory of that? Did you know that? Or, or I'm that? sure she. You know, I feel like as maybe. an act, as a fellow actor. I've watched, as we all have through the years, that show is amazing. So good. I think it's like 20 years on television. Oh, more so than that years. now. It started in 99. Well, there you go. But even me as an actor, when I had a cry, when I was afraid of Michael was going to kill me, right. in answer to your question, I think she draws on that. You oh, have yeah. to draw on pain to get that emotion up on a cue. Yeah. 
action and you start crying. And I'm sure it's also the real victims that she's dealt with through her right. foundation. She's felt all that pain from them. So right. she's channeling a lot of yeah. a lot of life experience in that. But what I, kind of foundation? Um, it was called the Joyful Heart Foundation. It's basically for rape, assault, domestic violence, child abuse victims. Um, yeah, I mean, she's not, she, she's she not assists not them. exploiting it on the show. She's actually... In, yeah, invest, she took it. She took it to her real life, yeah. and yeah, so she does great things. I love that woman. She can do no wrong in my eyes. Oh yeah, it's pretty lady. <laughs> All right, well that's that's it for tonight. A bidi, bidi, bidi. <laughs> Nobody even knows who Bugs Bunny is. Yeah, of course we do. He was even around what's when this, I was a kid. What's, what's this world coming to? Uh, we all know who he is. Well, thank you all. We enjoy you listening. We enjoy your mailbag. Keep the cards and letters coming yeah we've in. had great Emails messages yeah great things okay okay folks have a good night and god bless you all. and we'll see you next week sad and lonely. there's a service i could render i'm the one who loves you only i could be so warm so tender call me don't be afraid you can call me maybe it's late but just call me tell me and i'll be wrong Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.